0: Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. Well, we're here in Indianapolis at a historic NCAA convention with a vote that was significant earlier on Thursday. And to discuss that, Greg Sankey, the Commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, and Julie Cromer, the Director of Athletics at Ohio University. So let's first deal with your initial raw reaction to what we saw on Thursday with the vote. And it was significant. Julie, I'll start with you and then... And then
1: Greg. I think there was a lot of good debate on the vote in the association wide uh, room and I think it probably leaves us with some questions to continue to consider for the health of college sports in general. But I think it was a a good outcome for all of us and now we move forward to the next phase.
2: Nothing unexpected. Um, I think we anticipated uh, some level of pushback and commentary on the nature of the constitutional change I don't accept all of those statements as either factual or real, but they're important points of consideration for the work that, that we're going to be leading. This was an important point, really, to begin the next process or phase two of a, a process that's been labeled transformation for Division One.
0: How significant was it that it was convincing? I mean, there was no doubt, there was no challenge of voting or anything like that, that it was a convincing vote uh, for this proposal
2: well interestingly enough because you heard those opposed to the proposed constitutional change uh in number being the most um vocal at the microphone i had a set of texts asking if this was going to pass i i, I think the expectation was the the super super majority of NCA members were ready for this change and that was reflected and i think that that validates the work, but also listening to the voices is is an important responsibility to help inform some of our thinking moving forward.
0: So Julia, how did we get to this point where this was needed?
1: I think there are are a lot of people who would suggest that this is due to recent developments. I I would suggest that we've been barreling to this point for a much longer period of time. The diversity in our division the increased number of institutions, but also the diversity of resources in our institution, among our Division One institutions has been growing for decades. And so it's a it's an important point in time. It's a point in time to which we must be responsive, but it's not one I think that we couldn't have seen coming.
0: How about for you, Greg?
2: Well, I think you have to look back at, at to, to Julie's point, it wasn't just an, a particular event, I think people will attribute the, the Supreme Court decision in Alston versus the NCA, and then within a month we have a constitutional review as uh, the trigger and then the event. Uh, But there's a a lot of lead up. There's a lot of history here. And and I think, candidly, we've not dealt with reality because the context of history is dominated. You know, why do we do certain things the way we do? Well, we've always done that that way. We've been confronted um, in litigation about those issues. We've been confronted in meeting rooms. Uh, to think through those issues and so this is a reality and we're going to have to deal with other realities moving forward that will be uncomfortable but speak to this label of transformation that we've we've heard that word used frequently but it's going to challenge our thinking in new ways
0: you know to that point it just seems like common sense that the diversity of institutions within division one but division one versus division two versus division three It never really made sense that it always was under one giant umbrella in terms of voting and legislation. And um, you say it was rolling toward that point. How often would you see a sign that they just were not like institutions, if you will, across all divisions, and yet they all had similar power?
1: Well, I think uh, fairly often, for those who are practitioners, um, but I, there certainly have been points of inflection along the way and the influx in um, resources and revenue on a particular side of the scale of the stretch of our institutions from you know division one, two II, and three um, has been growing steadily. And so I don't know if it's any one particular point. The court decisions are important, important to reference. There have even been legislative battles within the NCAA along the way that could have told us that. We got through, you know, this point or this issue, but you know, we still don't have the work complete. In fact, I think when we went to an autonomy structure not that long ago, um, we, we did the work. We stayed in the big tent, but there were a lot of people who could have predicted that we would need to come back and readdress the structure, even you know, at that time.
0: You know, Greg, there's been so much talk about that if you have the means, you know, whether it's nil, or even before that whether the way you travel the way you support your programs whether you pay your coaches obviously is up to inst- in, up to each institution and yet it, it felt like it took us a while to get to that point that hey if you are school x and you can do it great and if you're school y and you can't then that's okay too why do you think it took so long for everyone to sort of grasp that concept
2: i am not sure we've completely grasped that concept at this point and one of the lessons of having now worked in this endeavor at different levels for 30-plus years is there is administration of programs done through the NCAA rulebook. It's, it's easy to say, well, there's an NCA rule, we, we can't do that. It's hard to say that's not who we are. We're not going to do that despite the fact that our colleague institution, our neighboring institution is, is engaged in something. Um, From a constitutional standpoint, from a big picture NCA standpoint, I I do think you have to go back and and look through history when there was a university division and a college division. And then we go through the 70s and we create, uh, what, three different divisions. And then we create subdivisions in football. Um, We walk through the era of the 80s, uh, the Supreme Court decision in Board of Regents, which decoupled broadcasting from what used to be every one of these, Uh, changes has forced adaptation, always uncomfortable in the moment. Um, And Then you move into the 90s when we walked away from this traditional uh, town hall gathering of institutions voting on legislative proposals into a representative form of government. That caused stress. It created the predictions that Julie shared both in the mid-90s when we went into that format but also when the autonomy structure took over that we weren't going to be complete and and i'll just share it's julie's line wisdom from a student athlete yesterday or or earlier in the week who just observed shouldn't there always be a transformation committee taking place rethinking our status and our future and that's a pretty good evaluation of why we're here now in this format is we didn't always think forward in the ways we're going to have to at this time
0: all right so we're here uh, part of the transformation now, within Division One, which is what you are charged with, which is what will be the next ownership, if you will, of what comes out of this, what do you think are the most pressing issues that need to be transformed over the coming months?
1: I think there are several voices in several uh, corners of the Division, each with an ornament to place on the tree. I, I think an interesting question to start, and we've talked about this, is what is it that binds us? And what is it that we share commonly? We want to be sure to preserve also different answers from different people. I think, um, you know, if you talk to our student athletes, it's the experience of being a student athlete. It, It, in some ways, what happens at the end of the season, while quite powerful and a goal for every student athlete and every team at the beginning of the season, isn't the same thing as what binds them as a community, which is the daily grind and the daily practice and the daily life of being a student athlete and being a high achiever both academically and athletically that's what they think binds us in division one those of us who are practitioners talk more about championships and we talk more about a common brand and we talk about the value to institutions like mine of being affiliated with division one and what that means not only for our athletic department but also for our institution and what we aspire to be and how we aspire to serve all of our institutions and then obviously the amplification opportunity through NCAA championships. Um, I you know, come from a campus, I had a team in the men's basketball tournament last year, and there's significant, significant value to the exposure our institution received based on one team making it a couple rounds into the NCAA tournament.
0: All right, Greg, so what do you see as the most pressing issue beyond that bound
2: beyond what she's discussing if if, if I could narrow it to like the most pressing issue um, that would be a luxury I don't think we have the luxury of saying here's what has to be addressed I I certainly would elevate uh, the issues around student-athlete support to the top of the agenda but if we deal with those in a different way and we have to think in a sophisticated manner about those realities, that doesn't give us the luxury of walking away from any number of other issues. We heard in the discussion uh, this week about access to representation. Um, There are guarantees that are part of our existing constitution that now move into bylaws that we have to be attentive to. I think there are structural needs around how we make decisions and what decisions actually need to be made at a national level. Uh, There's been plenty of commentary on the enforcement process and and linked to that. It's not just enforcement, it's also infractions committee outcomes, timing, um, consistency, which has been mentioned over time, but the need for timely application of accountability to a defined set of regulations that are consistent with the collegiate model and collegial expectations. And, and we've, we've not been able to manage through that. So I think all of those are, are clearly on an agenda. Um, what, what's interesting is at the beginning of the constitutional effort, you, know, you have a, what, 43-page document and the goal is can we reduce that, can we make it more efficient, can we put things into divisions. That's a very clear uh, assignment. I think the challenge that we have and that we're recognizing more and more is this is a very large assignment where uh, every time we have a conversation the assignment grows and so our challenge is how do we narrow it into to focus points and then work through those, those points. Uh, probably not just with consensus but with debate, disagreement, ultimately uh, a supportive position that could, could go out to the membership and really directly to the board of directors for ratification.
0: You know, I was thinking about what you were saying, Julie, about what, what binds everyone and the championship aspect does. And that seems, and of course you can tweak an actual championship, how it's run and all that. But just to be clear, the actual championship aspect of the NCAA membership, how sort of, I don't know if I should say off-limits, but how much is that okay with some minor tweaks if need be versus, you know, NIL, enforcement, Overall compliance, um, those kinds of issues that are a little bit more muddled that you may need more consensus to build upon.
1: There's great interest in addressing the regulatory environment. And you're wise to connect those two in that way because those elements do lead into who's playing in the championships and who has access to that run and what does that represent in terms of collegiate sports and what that experience is. And probably if there's anything that has challenged us as much as nil in the past year i'm not sure what that is maybe transfer debates about transfer activity so there are a lot of regulatory changes that are already in the works that we're wrapping our heads around and perhaps some of that will be the work of this particular committee but more importantly how we regulate ourselves i think is a larger issue and how we do that in um, an evolving legal landscape i think will be the key filter for that process
0: so to narrowing things down, I, what kind of checklist do you have of what you need to work on and through uh, in the immediate future?
2: The reality is now's the time to actually broaden the list at the moment. I think if we become narrow, we risk missing really important elements. And, and we were part of conversations this week where I think as we compared notes, our thinking widened each time. Uh, we'll begin weekly interactions with the Transformation Committee participants directly. uh, That will begin narrowing and focusing our attention. Uh, But early on, making sure we capture all of the relevant issues if we're going to truly transform uh, from my perspective is the priority. The narrowing part, we can start to hand things off there to, to Julie's reference or groups that are in play right now working through issues uh... we can insert some of the transformation expectations into that work we can receive reports pass that on to the board uh... but narrowing and eliminating things right now seems the wrong step making sure we capture everything strikes i think me and i think us is the right step based particularly on our learning experiences over the last few days so just to
0: sort of clarify for streamlining so hypothetically let's say you come up with uh, a you know a decision a policy of putting guardrails specifically on an aspect of NIL, and so now you want to. These are our guardrails. How will it work within Division One, not two, three, but within Division One, and say, okay, this is what how we want NIL to go or transfer. How how does that happen?
1: Well, our report goes back to the Board of Directors ultimately at the end of the work. I think our charge is to be sure to engage a wide variety of constituents, including some of the governance groups that currently exist. Greg mentioned a few of them working on some of these issues already, whether it's reengaging or engaging you know, through the council and the various committees connected to their work. So the hope is that by the time the report comes back to the board, then there is some consensus and there has been some collective work along the way for that to happen. I think on any particular issue, whether it happens in the next six months or you know, facing more forward in the future, there's additional follow-up. The, the key point is not necessarily to look for guardrails to narrow, it's to be sure that at the end of all of this, are we the division we need to be and want to be for our student athletes going forward?
2: Well, I'll speak to, to your, your question directly. The NIL question is a legal question. It's not simply a transformation committee question. It is a question that is attached to state laws, uh, many of which have been adapted, some of which will be changed and more of which will be adopted. Um, It's a congressional conversation. It's a judicial conversation. And I view the Transformation Committee's discussion of that not with guardrails as a focus, but how do we adapt in the current environment knowing what's happening with name, image, and likeness. You know, transfer issues. just like probably anything else we're going to start to talk about from a regulatory standpoint will require legal input. Um, Where do we have the space to regulate? Uh, I shared in a meeting earlier this week, we were accustomed to, so I'm relearning my habits. Let's come to the NCA convention, let's vote on 40 or 50 proposals, then there's about two or three weeks where there's all this angst about what's the interpretation, and then life went on, but we could decide things here. Or in a reality where that's not our circumstance. And so the adaptation to have a committee look at the need for transformation is reflected in how that circumstance has changed and that's going to affect decision making around name, image and likeness, it already has. It's not as if a previous committee wasn't successful, it's just that the environment changed completely around their work and we're going to have to adapt to that changing environment, whether it's name, image and likeness, transfer issues, how we conduct championships in states um, with, with maybe different structures, how we deal uh, with student athlete support issues. Those are our realities. Didn't used to be, certainly is now.
0: You've been the chair of the um, infractions committee, so you've dealt with the lengthy time that sometimes uh, the process goes through. In a future world, <laughs> um, how long should that process take?
2: well, well th- what I think is from my view there first of all are reasons that in, in my time as chair I think we had one matter that went back like nine years and that's difficult to hold someone accountable nine years later uh, I can remember another circumstance it was about six years and another it was actually decades long so those are, are kind of background issues Uh, The reality is we have some relatively recent matters whether it be SDNY cases or or issues that have arisen subsequently that are five or six years and we don't have an outcome. Uh, My view is we've likely overweighted the need to be aggressive with penalties and undervalued time efficient outcomes. We have to return to time efficient outcomes. Ideally. That would be within a calendar year. If you could hold someone accountable uh, within less than a calendar year, great. You've got to deal with due process issues. You have to deal with general process issues. Uh, But we have to, I think, shift our mindset to timely accountability for the right set of rules. Rather than chasing every possible rule in a 400-page manual, which, by the way, is fiction. That's not what happens to the credit of the enforcement staff. But we, as a a membership, have to become more comfortable that there's a defined set of rules that engage enforcement and that the outcomes of that activity happens in the most timely manner possible with the right level of accountability applied.
0: Julie, you mentioned student athletes. Uh, Obviously, the last couple of years since the summer of 20, they've been empowered to speak up more than ever, maybe even going back to the 60s. With that as the backdrop, how much will that student-athlete voice, especially in issues of gender equity, be heard in this transformation?
1: We had a good conversation with the national group here this week, but that's really only the starting point, I think, and one of my challenges to them was to be sure that they are engaging their entire network um, beyond those in the room, beyond those directly, even in the conferences that they represent to give voice to a broad swath of student athletes who will be impacted by this work i think um, in many ways they're a great resource for us in the room as we're having these conversations and they're very influential but at the same time it's important that we have a broader and farther reach in those conversations and i think they're a great outlet for us to be able to do that over the next six months
0: if you can both answer this start with you julie Uh, for those that fully don't grasp um what are the best things duties that the ncaa office in indianapolis performs
1: i might be biased in this a little bit Uh, i I think what the ncaa office in uh, here in indianapolis can do collectively is give us an opportunity um, at their best give us an opportunity to connect back into the national student athlete effort from my vantage point in the Mid-American Conference, from yours in the Southeastern Conference, and from others, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we get very much focused on what life is like for for the students that we serve in our particular, you know, on our campus, in our conference, in our setting. And, you know, at its best, the NCAA National Office is a resource, regardless of what your area of responsibility is, championships, regulatory, leadership development, another, um, it's a resource to be sure that we're connected into the broader ecosystem. If it is functioning well, it does all of that and then provides us an opportunity to stay connected as a, a, you know, as a functioning entity within higher education.
2: Yeah, I'll go to some specific elements. I think for years, dating back to the first time I ever attended an NCAA tournament game in the Carrier Dome when it used to be an on-campus event, You know championships are kind of a north star for those external to college athletics whether it's what happens in omaha oklahoma city or around uh march Uh, we obviously stubbed our toe a bit collectively a year ago i think we have to reset and make sure that that north star is back if i were to give the locker room speech um to to the staff in indianapolis i'd say let's let's get back to understand how meaningful those opportunities are even at a place like the Southeastern Conference where valuing a conference championship is is substantial. That opportunity for postseason play is enormous. Um, Really linked to that is um, something that we've worked on before, and that's academic performance. I actually think for all the stress almost 20 years ago, onboarding, graduation success rates, the academic performance program, all of the imperfections, it has served as a motivation for coaches, for teams, for administrators, for university leadership Um, and you've seen that academic progress over time and that's where the right level of national influence through the right level of NCAA regulation can have an enormous impact on young people's lives and that attaches back to that educational experience. How how do we promote that? Um, And and I think thirdly, we're going to be challenged with elevating the student athlete experience all across the country. And so there are circumstances with high level of resources, there are those without. How do we uh, elevate every one of those experiences in ways that have meaning on each of those campuses? And, and uh, we can do that, but in this new environment, it's not necessarily you know, show up and vote. It may be um, a lot of conversation over time with smaller groups to produce positive outcomes eventually endorsed by the board of directors.
0: I'm curious how both of you handle that, the misinformation Uh, and there's a lot out there, of who actually makes decisions. That when it comes to postseason, yes, that's the NCAA. When it comes to the SEC, that's your decision. When it comes to Ohio, that's your decision. Um, How how do you handle the the misdirection of where decisions are made?
1: Well, certainly that that depends on where it's coming from and how um, willing the audience is to uh, hear the education behind that point and how willing they are to acknowledge Um, there is this negative that has developed I think that is not particularly healthy that ascribes authority to those who don't necessarily have it in some cases and then too much responsibility for that authority um, you know in, in cases where we don't like the outcomes to certain individuals even you know whether it's at the national office or it's you know within our ecosystem back in our conference offices and our institutions so I think you have to know your audience and then you, you know, you have to hit it head on. And um, sometimes that's effective, sometimes it's not, depending on who's driving the narrative.
2: We all have a role to play. So the, the part of a conference office function is you're going to be the recipient of of blame from time to time, sometimes deserved, other times not. I think in an elevated uh, circumstance, the NCAA plays that role, that doesn't mean every Every finger that's pointed is accurately pointed. I I think you have to start from accepting that. Um, Communicating to the key constituents, whether it's at a national level, at a conference level, or a campus level is central to overcoming, whether it's disinformation, misunderstandings, you know, errors in judgment or miscommunication. And that's just a a normal function of human interaction it seems to me.
0: All right, last word here. I know I can't hold you to it, but I don't know if this is five years, is it two years, three years. What will Division One look like for the student-athlete experience? I think
1: there will be greater student-athlete flexibility and greater support directly to our student-athletes.
2: I would, I would start with that last, that, that the support for student-athletes will be an even greater focus. Um, I, I broaden... Uh, beyond just using the student-athlete term directly to say that we'll be effective at identifying the right places to regulate so that we have uh, opportunities for national competition leading into those championships, which, which are the North Star uh, for the NCA, while seeing continuing success in graduation, um, and then transitioning people into life from those opportunities.
0: Got a lot of work ahead, but uh, the two-year charge with some uh, certain, some heavy lifting, but all hopefully attainable. Julie Cromer from the University of Ohio University Athletics Director, and Greg Sankey, the SEC Commissioner. Thank you for your time, and that'll wrap up this edition of our NCAA Social Series. As always, you can go to ncaaorg series, where all of them are archived. Thanks for watching, everyone.